On this episode of the Cutting Edge Podcast, what's driving a spike in student information system spending? There's an imperative to improve operations and to provide more services, not only to students, but also to support administration in a way that makes work easier. And they have been delaying the purchases of student information systems for quite some time. And what happens after chief information officer is added to your title? My number one job is to make sure that, that the digital transformation for UNT is good for all of UNT. I can't, I can't just look at my own division and do things that are just good for the division. I'm your host, Emily Bamforth, and this is The Cutting Edge, where we look at what's next on decision makers to-do lists in higher education IT and online learning. It's National Cybersecurity Education Month, according to cyber.org. After earning Senate recognition for its Cybersecurity Education Week last year, the CISABAC nonprofit is aiming to bring more attention to how K-12 education fuels the cybersecurity pipeline. The event is designed as a rallying point for private and public sector organizations preparing instructors to teach cybersecurity concepts and introduce students to careers in cyber. The University of Arkansas is closing its eight-year-old online college and rolling online operations into what was formerly Grantham University. UA purchased the for-profit online school last year. Grantham is now run as a nonprofit public institution alongside the other UA campuses. Students in the system's eVersity program have already started moving over to UA Grantham since January. The Department of Education is spending more than $121 million to move its financial aid eligibility system to the cloud. The contract went to General Dynamics IT, an arm of the defense contractor. The company already won a contract to run the systems behind the free application for federal student aid. The department's federal aid office processes aid for more than 10 million students each year. Find all these stories and more on edscape.com. More universities are spending on student information systems, the backbone for key functions like enrollment. Spending nearly doubled in 2021 after a five-year slide, jumping more than 600% for four-year public institutions, according to a recent report from the Tambellini Group. Firm founder Vicki Tambellini explains the factors that moved spending forward and just how much of a lift it is to implement a new SIS. The main reason that institutions are making these decisions now is because they realize that through the pandemic, especially that there's an imperative to improve operations and to provide more services, not only to students, but also to support administration in a way that makes work easier. And they have been delaying the purchases of student information systems for quite some time. So we've seen from in the last five to seven years, and a, a decline in purchases of student systems. And in 2021, these the purchases nearly doubled from you know increased almost 100% from any of the previous years. And so, really did indicate a turning point in terms of buying. So I think that's the reason. You know, there've been a lot of schools that just delayed delayed a lot of purchasing and think that it's just the right time. Can you talk a little bit about some of the groundwork that has to go in before making these purchasing decisions and, and maybe how schools have been, I often see it as 
uh, a school has purchased a um, human capital management resource system or an ERP and then moves on and says, oh, wait, we can do um, the student information system next. So can you talk, uh, talk a little bit about some of the planning and the lift that needs to go into it and maybe why some of these schools are, are feeling more capable on this front? Well, student systems are a lot bigger than finance systems or human resource systems. Not that those other systems aren't important, but you think about the departments, the number of departments that are impacted by a student system involve a lot, a lot more departments. And so that when you get ready to think about implementing a new student system, it's very important to think about the amount of change it's going to take place on a campus or even multiple campuses if you're a much larger institution. So the planning for change and involving the constituents very early in the decision process to make sure that everyone is aware of what's coming is very important because you want to make sure that people aren't surprised and that they understand why the institution is going to make a change and why it's important because systems, newer systems are very different in terms of what administrators roles will be and the, and the jobs that they have to do. There'll be a lot more information that's available at their fingertips. They can do much more of the reporting themselves. They don't, won't have to go to IT any longer to get the information that they need from reports. And so they'll be much more involved. And so the earlier that they can start thinking about what their involvement will be in the planning for that process, it's going to be critical. And the last thing I'll mention in terms of being ready for that sort of change is that they have to be thinking about being uh, getting their information ready. And what we've seen a lot of times in, in systems is that institutions have customized their systems because they can. And they've used fields in older systems for purposes they weren't meant to be used for. And so data is not clean, as, as they say. So they've, um, they've used um, fields to store open text or different things. And so they, institutions have to start thinking about what, what we refer to as cleaning up data so that it can be easily imported into a new system. So there's a lot of preparation that goes into being ready to mm -hmm. do something like a, you know, implementing a new student information system. So this jump in spending could have been several years in the works then. Yes. as the, And institutions understand that more now than ever, that the planning in advance of, you can't just sign a contract and immediately start implementing. You have to be thinking years in advance of what it takes to be ready because once you do sign a contract you start paying so you but you must be ready in advance because you don't want to start paying for something that you can't start implementing um is that something that could have factored into one of the statistics that really stood out to me was uh that rise among four-year public institutions 600 percent more than 600 percent um could you talk a little bit more about some of the factors that might have fed into that jump um, and, and whether or not it's, it's something to do with uh, seeing others lead by example or, or maybe getting some of this groundwork done? What, what have you been hearing on that from? Well, it's a combination of things. The, the four-year publics are being asked to 
work together in systems. They're being asked to make decisions as a group. They're being asked to look at how they can consolidate at least their buying decisions and they're, especially in the public four years, um, being asked to, to look at shared sharing resources, whether that's sharing the system resources, sharing people across the same systems and benefiting from shared knowledge so that, you can, that the taxpayers uh, can, and, and for operational efficiencies can, can, um, can get those gains. And it's becoming more and more important, especially because it's harder to hire and retain staff in higher education, higher ed competes with all industries for resources. So sharing some systems resources, sharing training is important. And so we're seeing higher ed, especially looking to gain efficiencies as much as possible. And in public four years, it's becoming more and more important. Yeah, I recently spoke with the uh, University of Tennessee and that's something they're doing across our campuses for for an ERP system and, and looking forward to, to that um, SIS system. But I wanted to talk a little bit from the vendor side as well. Um, there seems to be a limited amount of vendors in this space. That's something that the report brought up, even more of a limit in terms of the vendors who are offering a cloud native approach. Um, and, and we've discussed this before, but um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the landscape there, especially when it comes to creating a new system that started in the cloud versus just lifting that data and translating it to a, to a new storage um, and access model? Yeah, Emily, thanks, thanks for asking. And I think, I think it's important for, for listeners who hear, hear cloud and cloud native and cloud ready and all that to, to think about what the difference is in, in those words are because cloud native means, as you mentioned, that you have a system that was architected from the beginning to run in the cloud. And so you've got, um, from an industry perspective, we see that Oracle, Workday, um, the company that has become Thesis, which is was originally uh, known as Unit 4, and then Genzibar are all creating solutions from the beginning to run in the cloud or what we would refer to as cloud native solutions. And, um, and the other vendors, the, the other remaining vendors are um, Anthology and, and also um, Lucian, which are of course very large vendors in this space have also have cloud solutions, but, but they're not cloud native solutions. So we don't wanna you know, say that they don't have a cloud solution because they do, they're just not cloud native. And from that perspective, um, it's very hard for vendors to create a solution from scratch to meet all needs of all sizes and types of institutions, um, you know, know, expectations and and requirements. Workday has the solution that is the closest in terms of viability for institutions. They have 30, about 30 institutions that are live on their solution. They're all private, not-for-profit type, for the most part, um, institutions. And, um, and Unit 4 is close, close to having something that can be used in the U.S. Um, at this point. And Oracle has been selling their solution, and it will be 
deliver later this year in the first general available release. And we expect to see institutions going live on that that solution very soon. So it's been a long time coming. <laughs> the solutions being developed are a long time coming. And I should also just mention that Gensabar has been releasing their solution in modules. So they've been developing their cloud native solution incrementally and releasing that solution as it's available also to their customers who are waiting for it. Their, that solution is Gensabar One. So it's exciting um, for the market to see these products coming to fruition and something that I know people are waiting for, institutions are waiting for with bated breath, basically, because there are so many that want to want to move to the cloud and, and are looking for the, you know, fully functioning, fully featured options to compare. Yeah, a lot of the, um, and I'm sure that the conversations that you've had with higher ed institutions as well, I've seen. Um, a lot of places kind of um, customizing or patchworking solutions to try and update those systems, but uh, looking forward to getting those full capabilities. In your experience, I'm just curious, is there an institution or a set of institutions that kind of serve as a proof of concept for implementing SIS? Uh, It's a huge lift. I actually haven't heard of very many institutions who have fully modernized it, but I'm interested to hear if there's a substantial amount of institutions that you've heard of that have. Well, the pri- there's a group of private not-for-profit four years that mm-hmm. have made significant progress. So I would say, yes, in those institutions that have modernized with Workday because they were mm-hmm. first to deliver a solution, we have seen considerable progress in that space. Um, that solution is is right for some institutions. It's not right for everybody, but for those that feel like that's the best solution, it has um, it has worked for quite a few. So yes, and 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 good or bad, I mean, they were first to market with the product, so there were some early uh, lessons learned for them, <laughs> and that everybody else will benefit from. And and one of the things we talked about at the very beginning is the amount of preparation that has to be done uh, mm-hmm. to get ready for a, a transformation of. of the magnitude that implementing a new student system is for campuses. And that, and they, that was a very early learning ground for that. Would you say, I'd love to hear uh, any more takeaways from that, that group of private nonprofits. It, it was it primarily just learning what preparation needed to go into it, adding more, even more items to the to-do list to get this going. Um, or is it more of a, a cultural shift? What are, what are some of the takeaways there? There are cultural shifts. I think that one of the other major things that we've heard about is the subject matter experts in the departments, from financial aid to the registrar's office. Now you're thinking, the bursar, you're thinking differently about the work that you do because the new systems are much more student-centric than the older systems. The older systems were built with the administrator in mind. It was all about making the administrator the center of the system and improving the life of the administrator. When we we did demonstrations of products 25 years ago, we we would see the product consultant go in and say, okay, I'm going to show you the product. Here's the day, a day in the life of the registrar, a day in the life of the bursar. And that's how products were demonstrated. Today, when you see the Genzabar person or the, the thesis or the workday or the Oracle demonstrations, 
or and and even the, the anthologies and and also uh, the Lucian's demonstrations. What you'll hear is here's the student view. Mm-hmm. Here's how the student is going to register. Here's how the student will access your system. So the mindset has completely shifted today to what is the student experience? How is the student going to register for classes? How will the student have a better outcome with your solution? And so when the administrators on campus are are now thinking of having to adjust their mindset, they're thinking about themselves, obviously, but the, the work now has to shift to how's my student going to experience it? It can be a really big shift for the the people that are using the system every day. And moving forward, obviously keeping an eye on on how that's approached and and some of the vendors coming into the space, those are two things coming up. But what are some of the things for you after getting all of these insights and all of this data in this report, what are some of the things that you're planning to keep an eye on moving forward in this market? Well, the things that we care a lot about are how successful are institutions after they make these selections? What are the experiences with the solutions they select? Do they deliver on the promise? What do they find are the gaps that still exist with the solutions that they that they select? Are the vendors delivering on the brand promise that they say that they're going to deliver when they make the selection? What is the service experience? Uh, what it, what it, how do they get the support that they need from that vendor? Because now institutions aren't necessarily buying every feature and function that they, that they used to buy when they bought systems also the last time, 20 years ago. But they're buying the, the evolution of the product and the, the vendor promise of being a great partner. So we want to know, are the vendors fulfilling that promise? Are they delivering on that experience that they're committing to with these new solutions. And so those are things we're tracking. Again, that was Vicki Tambellini of the Tambellini Group. You can read more about student information system implementation at edscoop.com. I'm your host, Emily Bamforth. This is the Cutting Edge Podcast. To make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Adam Fine joined the University of North Texas in 2018 as its first administrator in charge of digital strategy and innovation. He was named permanent chief information officer in June. Fine, who now leads IT efforts for one of the largest public universities in Texas, shares his thoughts on how the CIO title changes his responsibilities and why communication is key in bringing together departments that previously only worked side by side. I got here three and a half years ago uh, as inaugural vice president of digital strategy and innovation. We didn't have a division of digital strategy and innovation before that. Uh, so lots of credit to, to our president, my boss, and, and, and our former provost is now the president of uh, University of Texas at Arlington. Uh, I think they, they felt like it was uh, di- digital transformation, digital strategy was important enough for the future of higher education to, de- to dedicate an administrator solely to it. So we did that starting in the very end of 18, uh, January 2019, you know, hit the ground running there. Uh, and so a lot of what I initially did was, I would say, at teaching and learning at the center, the teaching and learning center, and all the online education activity, which was already 
uh, moving pretty quickly. That was timely because we had about a year before the emergency remote learning and the pandemic hit and we had you know, just enough time to put the infrastructure in place or build on the infrastructure that was here before I got here to, to really ensure that the university could navigate that well and people could have continuity there. And so I would say prior to, to my the interim CIO and then now the official CIO title, it was really more a digital strategy and innovation in the way of uh, online learning and um, kind of rethinking the, both the virtual and the physical classroom. And so not just uh, online, but also, you know, how are we learning inside the physical classroom, uh, which, is, which is really important. I have a, a presentation that I've given a number of times where I show a classroom from 100 years ago and I show a classroom from four years ago. And they don't look any different. And that's that's a shame because we've learned so much about how the brain works and how people learn since then. And, and our, our physical spaces don't aren't great reflections of that. Uh, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So that's what I'd say uh, before uh, the CIO title. That's great. And obviously, we've seen so much change since 2019, since you came in in that um, inaugural uh, administrator position. Can you talk a little bit about, through your experience at UNT, some of the ways that you've seen technology, the networking, the hardware, that kind of thing, uh, really integrate with some of that teaching and learning or, or operations in a way that shapes your role now? What's what's sure. your approach to kind of melding both that technology perspective and that planning and design perspective or innovation perspective? Before the pandemic, but not right at the beginning, I also had the opportunity to start working with a team, one of my departments now, what I would call DSI, so Digital Strategy and Innovation, DSI Tech, so now we're getting you know one step closer to more traditional IT, but it's not it's not traditional IT. It's more AV and all the classroom technology stuff. So it's kind of right nicely in between, and um, that was a great expansion. I think early on of of what we were were doing because uh, I immediately shared with them my vision for you know some of the research we've been doing and some of the efforts that I was seeing at other universities, including where I came from at University of Illinois, to start to be strategic about this, not so reactive necessarily, but be proactive in looking at uh, what, what is what is in these classrooms, what you know what and I'm not just talking about the chairs and the color of the walls and the temperature in the room and all those actually do play factors in the learning, but but also the hardware, the technology, the software and the hardware. And what I quickly saw was that there were some differing of opinions between between this group and our and our more traditional uh, IT group. Uh, now that group is in my in my shop too. So we've had a great opportunity to to have some of those conversations and uh, for me to better understand the different perspectives, the pros and cons of you know doing things in, at times the way we've always done them or more traditionally and, and some of the newer school ways that we might approach a classroom. And so, you know, not to get too far ahead, but I think my favorite thing about having an opportunity to be the CIO, having first been, you know, uh, a little, you know, more heavily weighted on the ed tech or front end space is the fact that we've got the back end folks and the front end folks in the same shop. Now, it's not to say you can't have, you know, 
we have to collaborate across departments, across divisions. We were already starting to make progress, but it has been pretty nifty to have it all in the same shop because I think we, then you know, the culture we're developing here, that's uh, you know, really focused, very customer focused, very user experience focused, ensuring we don't make assumptions about you know the faculty, staff, and students we serve, but rather ensure that we you know roll this stuff out in a way that they can get the most out of it is is really helpful when you have the opportunity to be strategic with both the front end and the back end. And so that's that's been a big victory, I think. Uh, and so now more specifically in answer to your question, I think so. I saw a lot of two things, uh, either somewhat outdated hardware or hardware that came to us from third parties who, in my opinion, kind of oversold us on some things. And so um, I am on a bit of a quest now to, in the last year or two, to start to unwind some of that. I'm not anti-third party. I'm not anti some of the, you know, the big players like Cisco or Polycom. But I do find that we're, we're in a bit of a different era that's a bit more software-based. I couldn't understand, for example, why our classrooms or occasionally conference rooms needed a bunch of this proprietary hardware or this thing that you put on the table when I was doing the same thing in my office with Zoom. Without all that stuff, I just needed the camera and a microphone and it cost about, you know, like a fifth of the price and it worked better. And so, uh, you know, we, we've, we've moved in that direction. We, we decommissioned a lot of older proprietary software that relied on a vendor who magically was the only vendor that could fix the stuff and you know charged you for you know even if they were there for 45 minutes they charged you for six hour minimum uh, we we don't have the money in, in public higher education to to do that so I'd, I'd rather reinvest the money in our students and and things that we know help help them learn and, and help our professors teach better and so kind of going through that still today i mean we were first we were all at home and now we're back and so re-looking at that now but um, that, that's what I noticed in the hardware. We, we've got some some real modernization to, to, to do right now. I'll set aside the conversation about pink colors in classrooms for another day. But <laughs> there's um, a lot of research on that. <laughs> but I, I am interested in hearing having all these folks under one roof, basically starting these conversations, kind of focusing on on some of the purpose of some of this AV, um, as you mentioned, Zoom or, or meeting equipment, as an example. What were some of the takeaways from that conversation or some of those conversations? And what does it look like to try and lead? that kind of melding between the two perspectives? Well, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I've, I've tried really hard uh, since the day I got here to, to tell my staff two, two things, uh, three things, really. Uh, number one, uh, you're, you'll have a lot of fun. Number two, you're, you're never going to be bored. And number three, uh, everyone's entitled to a healthy work environment. And so if I stick to those three things, it really doesn't matter which team uh, is integrated into our division or that we've, we've created some new teams that didn't exist, like our enterprise team that works with our corporate partners. Uh, that, that is a, a really successful formula. So, you know, I, I got the department directors from both groups together. They, they knew each other for a long time, but just worked in separate zones. And they're both very, very good at their jobs. And I said, hey, look, we're going to collaborate. We're going to co-create. 
if we have a disagreement, that's fine. That's good. You know, we, we, we don't need to agree on everything. It makes for great discourse. We can get to the problems quickly uh, and, and find solutions together. But what we're not going to do is be overly competitive or derogatory in any way. And uh, as long as we do that, uh, we'll be great. And and the two of them took that very seriously. They work great together. And, and you know, and then that trickles right on down to all of the employees and in, 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 on both of their areas and in some of our other departments that do also interact with them, maybe not as much as the two, those two groups. But to me, it's been fun. I mean, honestly, when, when, the, when the main IT shop, you know, when the president asked, hey, I would like to, to bring that group into your division, what do you think? I was like, let's do it. And I didn't make any significant changes. There's a bunch of talent there. I really just picked them up and dropped them into the organization. And, you know, rather than saying, hey, we're going to do everything different, we're going to move this person here and this person there. And I want to, you know, I, I didn't want to, that just didn't seem necessary to me. I, I didn't promise that we would never make any changes, but I wanted, you know, a chance, three, six months to get to know everybody. I met with every single person one-on-one, wanted to see for myself what was working and what wasn't. Honestly, most of the things were, were working great. It's just that, uh, in my opinion, they didn't have quite quite the level of support they needed to have success. So I wanted to to provide that and uh, integrate them, you know, into this culture that we've built. This is really an inclusive, diverse, collaborative culture that that I really believe in. And so, in a word, it's been fun, busy, really busy, but but fun. And I think I think that they, I hope that they would tell you the same thing. And I'd I'd love to hear about how this this structure and and kind of just reforming these connections or strengthening these connections factored into projects. You talked about the classroom project, about how it factored in with some of the work that your team is doing on the wireless infrastructure and that major project. And in that conversation, I'd also love to hear about how student feedback factors into this, because if there's one thing I know about students, it's that they are interested in the wireless. (laughs) Yes, you are 100% correct on that. That has been a very popular project. It's not done, but it's in process. So all right, I'll, let me start with uh, uh, the uh, just how we got there. So uh, again, you know, I kind of mentioned I've been fortunate. You know, I'm, my my number one job is to make sure that that the digital transformation for UNT is good for all of UNT. I can't I can't just look at my own division and do things that are just good for the division. That's not I don't think the job of a vice president that uh, in supporting the president's mission, which is across the entire university. So. That obviously means I have to have a great relationship and a good level of understanding with the other vice presidents and what they do. And so um, I also know that, you know, we're again, we're a public research university in a metroplex here, minority majority. We have 42 percent first generation students. which so I think is an incredible mix to, to be able to serve. But, you know, we're not Harvard. We're not we're not Northwestern. We're not we don't have a gajillion dollar endowment. And so we really have to be wise and thoughtful and strategic with the money that you know we have the budget we have from the state and the way we we bring in money uh, keeping it affordable but also a world-class education so you don't take things like a refresh or an an expansion of wireless lightly it's not a cheap project you don't take lightly uh, all the wires and the conduits and the switches and the aggregators because it's again it's a big investment we don't just have that laying around so 
in doing his job, my, my assistant vice president for IT came to me day one and uh, said, look, one of the things, you know, because I asked him, you know, what's top of mind for you? What should we let's prioritize together as we get to know each other better? What do I need to be aware of right off the bat? And he, he didn't hesitate and said, look, the primary infrastructure for us is old. It's It's aging. And I'm concerned about that. And, you know, that matched up with my, I, I think I've been in, in the ed tech space since the beginning of my time in higher ed. And I understand that not everyone, even today, thinks about it as a commodity like power and water. But I think it is. You don't survive a pandemic without it. You, you don't have day-to-day -day interactions. We couldn't be doing what we're doing now. You know, and most of the stuff we do really doesn't work if you don't have solid connectivity and uh, the tools you need. So that was uh, concerning to me <laughs> that, that we had some aging infrastructure and I wanted to ask more questions, you know, what, okay, in that, you know, what's the oldest, what do we need to, to get to first? So, um, but, but, the whole reason for me saying what I said about the other vice presidents, I still have to go and convince the president and the other vice presidents that this is a good investment. So I did some research and we looked into things. And it so happened also that we were coming out of the pandemic and there was federal stimulus available for just these things. Uh, because, you know, again, if we, we if we have to face this again or in order to make sure we do great, if we have another global emergency. This, this is exactly what the federal stimulus is supposed to be used for, and that is for our students. And so we looked hard at those things and started to look at the wireless, look at, uh, again, some of the infrastructure with where the network comes in from the county and from the region to make sure that we have healthy wired and wireless connections and all the infrastructure that makes that happen. The other thing I say is I, I do, I do very much uh, need to understand what's going on for the students. I have a I have an undergraduate student innovation advisory board and a graduate student innovation advisory board. And, uh, you know, we talk about all the things related to digital transformation. And that was a very interesting conversation before the pandemic and certainly during and now what I call the post-vaccine era we're in here. Yeah, that connectivity is vital. We've got students on campus, off campus, sometimes on, sometimes off. Well, more than anything, what do they need to have success? They must be online, you know. And so it was very popular when I talked to the students, say, six months ago, both the grads and the undergrads, to, to propose that we might, you know, to get their thoughts on, what, what you know, do you think we need a refresh and expansion of this? Yes, we do. And then they started saying, you know, as soon as I go outside the library, I lose my connection. Or, if I, you know, this is a popular gathering space. And certainly they talked about outdoor spaces. We had a research space in the greenhouses in our, in our Discovery Park area that no connectivity. So we added that. But then, you know, in certain buildings, it could be, you know, it's good, but it could be faster. And, you know, if it's uh, four or five, six years old, the wireless, you know, the WAPs, uh, you know, things change. The technology gets better. We can we can install, uh, you know, more modern architecture there. So so that's how it came about. And it's in process now. Uh, and we're excited about that. Obviously, just setting the groundwork for great teaching and learning. That's what we do here. We need uh, world-class teaching and learning. That's what students pay for. That's what their parents pay for. That's what their jobs, to, they work to get themselves through college are about. So uh, really excited about that. And uh, uh, so were the students. That's really helpful to hear about. And looking forward, there are so many conversations happening, so many projects ongoing. I'm interested to hear if you went with the the first thing 
or the most common thing that you hear from your student advisory councils, what would be the next thing on your to-do list? That's a great question. Um, there are a number of areas. One, one of the one of the things that we the one actually the first thing we did prior to this and slightly before the pandemic into the beginning of the pandemic was they they didn't care for our mobile app at all and uh, so we we uh, worked with our division of enrollment and the programmers there to who, who, that's where it kind of lives and to, to to get that feedback to them they had been collecting feedback too to to kind of completely refresh the UNT app and. You know, what's the UNT app? You know, that's where they can look at their classes and connect to Canvas, which is a learning management system, pay a bill, do some chatting, you know, find a student group, uh, you know, look at the bus map, all, all the things really. It's way better than it was. And I think it was really driven by the students. So that's that's something we've already done. But, I, you know, as far as what's next, we talked, we just had a, a big conversation about uh, two things uh, that I think one of which uh, is just generally on the minds of our students, but certainly has a digital aspect, and that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. And, you know, for the purposes of, of, of our conversation in digital strategy, we talked a bit about how is digital transformation at the university influencing that? How can we do better and get you what you need? We had a lot of discussion about social media and how the university uses that. That's not in my division. It's my next door neighbor, Jim. It was both my next door neighbor here at work and near, near my house. Yeah, they're doing a lot in thinking about uh, you know how, how we do that. And, and that really dovetails. So, so it wasn't just about diversity, equity, inclusion, although that was a big thing. The other big topic was about just communication in general in, in this era of a hundred different channels you know how do we because my students tell me like well you know we don't really read email anymore we know we have to read email some for official communications but there's just too much of it and we you know we just mostly maybe then ignore it and so you know whether it's the app or trying to understand what's the best way to get information and whether that's in our university brand strategy and communication group or trista works or on digital strategy, where we're dealing more directly with the teaching and learning, like where they actually take their courses and not wanting them to miss a message about this deadline or whatever else, you know, there's a there's a tornado warning, don't come to campus or whatever. Maybe it's emergency, maybe it's just, you've got a test due at this point, like working closely with them to understand how, what are your preferences? Because they're changing rapidly. And I get that email, I have a 15 and a 13 year old, I get that email is not particularly their preferred uh, method of communication, but, uh, you know, can we meet in the middle? It's, you know, president's probably not going to, you know, start dancing on TikTok to get the messages across. So, you know, what what's that middle ground that we can, we can, we can agree, you know, and, and, and doing a better job, you know, Instagram's good for this. Snapchat's good for that. Texting is good for that. We've got some students that, I'll tell you, we've got no students that want a personal text on, you know, that's a little too invasive, but do they want push notifications and 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 to be able to control that? Yes, definitely. That's what they want. And in, in, in a word, it's customization, whether it's customizing the way in which they get their degree online, in person, a mix, or customizing communication. You know, yes, I want all the things from Canvas or none of them but they want to be able to control that and throttle it. And so I think that uh, what's next for us is, I mean, that's certainly one of the big things that students talk about related to digital strategy and transformation is, is that. 
Yeah, I would say this isn't quite as front and center for the students, but the fact is we've got a duty to protect them as well. So we're doing a lot of, you know, we're, we're, we're rolling out multi-factor authentication things now so that they don't fall victim to phishing and, and scams and different things. And if, you know, we, they trust us to, to look at that. So when they're, you know, using their university email that they're, you know, not, uh, you know, that we can keep them safe from, from a lot of the things, you know, might waste their time or worse, take their money or that identity. So we put we're putting a lot of time into that now, too. Again, that was Adam Fine, Chief Information Officer at the University of North Texas. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Until next time, I'm Emily Bamforth.